Welcome to episode 10 of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. As always, here with Josh Erickson and Matt Sheridan. And this week, we are joined by our special guest, Alex Metzger. Alex, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem at all. We're looking to always add some new faces, and uh, we're welcoming you on this week. So, uh, And you're also the site manager of our little group here, so uh, running the last word on hockey part of our Last Word on Sports Network. So uh, taking on a big role, but joining us for our podcast this week, Throwing Haymakers. And we wanted to get the ball rolling, talking about uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, all right, or Vegas Golden Knights, excuse me, uh, getting knocked out of the playoffs by the Dallas Stars. Kind of a surprising end for them. And Josh, I know you're probably pretty amped up about that. You've, you've shown a lot of love for the Golden Knights on our show. So why don't we get things started with you? Uh, what do you think about Dallas taking Vegas out of the playoff home? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes you go on a bender and sometimes it takes you the wrong way. Because, uh, man, start by giving credit to the Stars. I mean, it's really an incredible run. Uh, you know, I was going in thinking that out of the four teams left, well, they probably had the – third weakest goaltending. I, I'm not high on Verlamov, um, but, you know, I was more of like, okay, Kadobin's been good, being tired or anything like that. Um, and he certainly did. Um, I mean, now you look at his numbers overall throughout the playoffs, he's now back up at a 920. Um, and I think he was below 915 coming into the series, actually. Um, so that just gives you an idea of how well he performed. Um, can't give enough credit to Miro Heiskanen. Uh, 22 points in 21 games, over 25 minutes a night. This guy's a stud. He's going to win the Conn Smythe uh, if they do win. Uh, and it, 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 it's really well-deserved. Uh, credit to Jamie Benn, who's turned it around. Gryanov, the best shot on the team right now. Um, during the regular season, too, I think he still led the team in goals. He's doing it again in the playoffs with nine. Uh, Klingberg being reliable as hell as he always is. Uh, you know, Texas is getting introduced to playoff Joe Pavelski, which is a great sight to see for someone who's a Sharks fan like me. Uh, Tyler Sagan doing what he can with something up with his wrist. Not sure if it's broken or not. Um, you know, the depth's been there. Raddick Foxa, 8 and 19, hints 11 and 21. You'd like to see a bit more out of Rupe hits, but you know, with how well Pavelski and Grianov had been playing, it's acceptable. Um, so there's a lot to like about this Stars team. They didn't necessarily control the play in that series, um, nor have they really. I mean, the majority of their roster is under a 50% Corsi 4. Um, but there are guys who are certainly making a positive impact while they're on the ice. Uh, that unit they have going of Yan, Mark Pavelski, and Gurianov, uh, definitely their best forward line right now. Um, yeah, Ben has the skill, but uh, their ability, j- just that uh, Pavelski-centered line ability to, uh, you know, maintain control of the puck is the best one they have, and they're going to need to keep this up uh, against a Tampa team that if you let them da- dawdle to the puck, I mean, it's going to be a quick series, right? I mean, 
you know, looking at what went wrong for Vegas here, uh, wasn't defense. It was shoot. It, it was shooting percentage. It was PDO. It's a, a stroke of bad luck because you look at how these guys were able to stack up. There's one player on their team who ended up with less than 50% Corsi C4, and it was Noshik, who only played eight games out of their 20 games in the playoffs. So, you know, this is a team that had the puck and couldn't figure out ways to actually get it in the net. Um, yes, Kadobin was good. I think his save percentage is a bit bumped. I just did not see confidence in any of the Knights players watching that series. Uh, don't know I think it really same. comes down to one big talking point. And, you know, it's uh, you're not going to win it. So if you go back to September 6th, which is when this series started, the Vegas Golden Knights have shot 4% at 5v5 and 4% right. on the power play. So <laughs> exactly. you're not winning a series like that. Like it's just – and sometimes it happens. But when you go and look at the Vegas Golden Knight players – Ryan Reeves this series had a 33.33% Corsi 4 percentage and a 34.5 expected goals percentage. He was absolutely shelled while he was on the ice at five on five. And it was only for 32 minutes during the series, but that's still a decent chunk of time. Another big thing that uh, Dallas seemed to take huge advantage of, and I don't know if he was battling an injury or what, because this is very uncharacteristic of him. Shea Theodore was the second worst player on Vegas. 40, uh, 40% expected goals, 47 course, uh, 47% Corsi 4 percentage. Shea Theodore is the guy that they've relied on all year to take the big matchups. He's really uh, came in in his own as a, uh, a stud defenseman, and he had a rough series, and, and that doesn't Yeah, Theodore. So, I mean, there have been a couple games in this, seri- uh, in, in this Vegas playoff run, which, you know, I love Theodore, but, I mean, there are a couple games where I can single-handedly pin a loss on him. Game six against Vancouver. I think it was 4-0 Vancouver the final. Jemko shut out. Two goals that Vancouver scored that should have been easily stoppable, uh, but Pedersen was right in front on both those chances, and Leonard couldn't see him. Uh, and Theodore was just standing there next to Pedersen, making no effort to box him out. He, he was puck watching is what he was doing. He wasn't doing his job. Uh, and there have been a couple times like that where, yeah, Theodore's been this coursey monster or whatever, uh, and he's had multiple games where he's been Vegas' best player uh, in the playoff run. He led him in points, 19 and 20 as a defenseman. It's incredible. Um, but he's still young. He's got some things to come back and work on. And if I know anything about him, he's going to take all of this to heart. He knows what he did wrong. DeBoer knows what he did wrong. And he's going to come ne- come back next year a much more well-rounded, consistent player. Um, but, yeah, you're right, Alex. I mean, there, there was just not enough there from the big guys, and especially the point you bring up about Reeves. Like, you know, even if they aren't the most skilled guys, I mean, the reason why Vegas wins so many games is because their fourth line is usually just on you, and they have the puck, and they're swarming you, and you didn't see any of that against Dallas. Uh, there were guys getting chances. It was normally that third line, like that mix of Cousins, Stevenson, Tuck. Um, those were their best guys down the stretch. Um, so moving forward, Vegas is not in a bad spot, but it's a tough way to go out for sure. And something that I've noticed too, and it's not necessarily on Vegas. I mean, what you were saying earlier, Alex, about their sh- Vegas' shooting percentage, I mean, you, you can't win 
a playoff series shooting like that. I mean, maybe, maybe if you're playing. Ask the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can if you play defense like the New York Islanders do on a good day. But no, you just, generally speaking, you you cannot win a playoff series that way. And you have to look at how Dallas has performed too, because they have very much overperformed. When we were going into the playoffs, their series against Calgary, I looked at that as a coin toss. Like either one of these teams could come out on top, and I wouldn't be shocked either way. And now here we are, you know, they're going to the Stanley Cup finals. The way I'm looking at this is they were such big underdogs. Nobody has seen them coming. And they're kind of like the Blues from last year. Granted, not as big of underdogs. You know, last year was a miracle and a half. The Blues even made the playoffs, much less won the Stanley Cup. But they're kind of playing that role this year. They're the team that nobody saw coming that has done all the right things that have gotten them to this point. And now here we are. The Stanley Cup finals are in a couple of days, hopefully, uh, and probably starting up right around when this episode is going to drop. And the stars are in it. And granted, if they play Tampa Bay, I don't think they have much of a shot. They are underdogs, of course, first and foremost. But if we see them playing the Islanders, I think they have a legitimate shot at winning that title. So I really think, you know, you're aware they could be, make some noise in these finals. Yeah, if I could add something, when we were predicting our, when we were predicting who would win that game last week, when we were talking with Bill and thinking like, was was what was the series like one one or something? And we were predicting the score of game three. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was split uh, between Vegas being me and I think what, uh, Bill said that, and then you two chose Dallas. I didn't think, I didn't think this series would be four one. Like it, it just seemed as much as the Vegas Golden Knights didn't perform I think you have to give credit to Dallas just because of the performances they've gotten from guys like Kadobin and just with Bishop being out and just Heiskin in as you said potential um Consmith winner it's just the collective of the, the collective of Pavelski and those guys always showing up big in the playoffs I just think this group has a lot to has proven a lot to a lot of doubters and uh, they're not done yet and it's not like they got shelled this series either. Like uh, the overall uh, Corsi unexpected goals were about 52-48 for Vegas. So, I mean, yeah, over a course of a full season, that's a lot. But in the span of six games, that's a coin flip. For five games, it's a coin flip. And, and that's what happened, right? Like I think if you're Vegas, you know, yeah, probably should have deserved to go six or seven here. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And credit to Dallas because it's not like they just got dominated all series or anything like that. They were legitimately in it from the very start. Right. And it's, you know, if Gurionov whiffs on that shot in OT, Vegas could win this series, right? Like it's not that Gurionov shot. I think it was 110 miles an hour. That was the shot speed on it. Right. It's just like how many times, I mean, no, Offense to Dennis Gurionov, but how many times out of 100 is Gurionov going to land a 110-mile-an-hour bomb on that shot, right? The, the, the bounces were going Dallas's way. Um, and that's, you know, but that's just what happens. Um, that seven, I forget if that series against Calgary went six or seven. I think it was six. And that 7-3 win was team changing. There was something after Calgary went up three, nothing in that game, Dallas switched how they played. They have not switched since. 
and it's led them to be to be the most dominant team in the Western Conference. Um, they embarrassed Colorado, dude. Like that series should not have even gone seven the way Colorado was playing. Colorado did not deserve to make that a seven game series. Um, they've just been really swarmy in how they play the game. They don't let you get many chances. And when you do, I mean, give credits where credits due. Vegas just was not shooting well. They they just weren't. Where was March so the last two rounds? Did a great series against Chicago and then dipped. Uh, same thing for Riley Smith. Um, it's what plagued him against Washington in the cup final a couple years ago. The guys just – the luck ran out. Um, and not to say that they aren't the best team in the Pacific Division, not to say that they aren't a premier team in this entire league, because they are, and they'll be back next year. Um, and they'll be back for, like, the next five years, let's be honest. Um, it's a tough way to go out. Good luck to the Stars. Hope they can pull this off. Before we move on, um, you just – I also li- – I would like to highlight, like, the Stars have gotten a, a lot of contributions from guys who may not necessarily get the chance to otherwise in the regular season, like with Joel Kiviranta and his hat trick to clinch the series. Just getting those guys that – come out of the, that are just waiting for their moment to shine and are able to step in into the game and provide such a big impact. And you look at Dennis Gurionov, yeah, he was a good player, but this, this playoffs is unlike him. Like you said, how many times does he shoot 110 miles an hour to win a game in overtime? It's just, it's been cool to see guys that don't necessarily get enough recognition for the little things that they do. And now they're finally providing that big, much needed offense in an otherwise dry environment I could say with Sagan and Ben and those guys not the guys that are expected to put to be the leaders on offense not necessarily being that every night yeah well I actually have a reasonable point I mean Ben has 18 and 20 that's impressive considering he's playing primarily with Sagan who has a bum wrist right like Sagan can't get in the puck Sagan can't do anything Sagan can't even take face-offs Ben's coming in and taking face-offs more uh, so, I mean, Ben had a hell of a series against Vegas. Uh, didn't really see it coming. Uh, I mean, I mean, for sure. They're a deep team. Uh, Heiskanen's a big reason why they're here uh, with that one-two punch on right D. That's going to be scary for the next 10 years with him and Klingberg. So. And Thomas Harley. I, they're going to be a good team for sure. They are. All right, so looking at the next thing on our list, we wanted to break down some of the biggest news that came out just the other day. The Buffalo Sabres have made a trade. Eric Stahl will be heading over from the Minnesota Wild, Marcus Johansson going the other way. Uh, so, Alex, let's start with you on this one. What do you think of Buffalo making uh, – Buffalo, their new GM, Kevin Adams, making his uh, first trade? Uh, I liked it from Buffalo's uh, point of view. I – don't understand it a, even a little bit from Minnesota's point of view, but I think if you're Buffalo, uh, you know, Eric Stahl is clearly the older of the two guys. I think he's, what, six years older than Johansson. Um, and, but he's the better player as well. Like, and he's shown that over the past two or three years. Like, it was, it we're, what, two years removed from him having 42 goals in a year? Uh, he shore up the center depth, which has been a huge issue for Buffalo as well. Um, 
you know, they have Eichel, obviously an absolute stud, but the, the two C there has been a real struggle to find. And, you know, I think they're probably hoping one of Cozens or uh, Middlestack can step up and be the three C or two, two C eventually, but I, I don't think that's this year. So having a bit of a stop gap's not bad there. Um, so yeah, I thought it was uh, really smart from Buffalo's point of view uh, from Minnesota. I don't like, what are you doing? Totally. Uh, I mean, Stahl's a guy, yeah, he's going to be 36, but I mean, I, I, people are making a big deal of that age factor. Both of them only have one year left. It's not an issue. It's pure swap for one year. Uh, I don't see Stahl falling off hard. If he, if he played a full 82, if there was a full 82 game season last year, he would have had more points than he did the year before. He had 47 and 66, probably would have hit 25 goals last year. Um, what else do you want? Johansson's hasn't been the same guy since he left Washington. He was always viewed as this guy who was this whole untapped reserve of something. He's never been a play driver. Uh, well, he did well when he was playing with Baxter. A lot of people did well when they were playing with Baxter. Uh, and now you're asking him to be Minnesota's first line center. I mean, you are going to, you are now relying with that trade completely. Your whole offense is going to center around Kevin Fiala next year. Uh, and can he uphold his play while dragging a line behind him? Uh, Cause Johansson is kind of dead weight. Uh, now Buffalo comes away with the older, but better and cheaper option. Uh, Stahl's a guy that, uh, you know, he plays center. Johansson barely plays center. Uh, oh, man. I mean, this is just an absolute massive dub for Buffalo in every way possible. Uh, you're getting a guy who could crack 50 points for you. Nope. Getting a guy who could crack 50 points for you next year. Um, put him on a line with Skinner and Reinhardt and see what happens, right? I mean, Skinner's a guy who is going to need a reliable center. And that's going to help. Instead of putting Skinner with Johansson, switch him out for Stahl, Skinner could get 35 or 40 again next year. And now look at what you're doing, right? Now you've got Olafson, who's good for, I mean, maybe a little bit better on the power play, but Olafson and Eichel going to work well. I'd like to see Cahoon on that top line. If you look at what he did a couple of years ago in Chicago with Jonathan Taze, imagine what he's going to do with freaking Jack Eichel, right? Cahoon could be a 65-point player next year. Uh, and then you do Skinner, Stahl, Reinhardt. That's better than the line Stahl was on in Minnesota next year. All of a sudden, Buffalo's got a pretty scary top six. Uh, you bring in Middlestat and Cousins. I think they're ready. They're not going to be playing against great competition now. They're going to be in that third-line role. I'd like to see this whole youth movement going forward and maybe a line of middle stack cousins and Tage Thompson. I think that could do wonders for this team. And they like Ralph Kruger. Kruger knows what to do. Uh, I don't know what Minnesota's doing. Uh, I saw something from earlier today that Garen viewed Victor Rask as a guy that just didn't get enough playing time. And that he'll do better if you give him more minutes. So. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think we had this conversation the other day. I'm not sold on Buffalo being good necessarily, but uh, oh no, as, 
as you said, they have one year left on the deal. So even if stall fizzles out or it doesn't work as you plan, it is what it is. You know, like, I don't, I don't, I know Buffalo, the, I don't think the ownership there is going to want to keep rebuilding. So this kind of signals to me, yeah, you had a move where you clearly get better, but yeah, like Minnesota, uh, I, I just like, what's the plan there? Because the, the saddest part is their decor is good enough where it's like, I st- like they're not bad enough to tank and they're not good enough to do anything other than make the second wild card spot on a very good year, you know? So it's just like, are you just, your plan is just be mediocre for the next three years until you accidentally luck into being horrible and get a top like first round pick. Like I just, I, I, I don't understand what is going on with that organization. Right. And it's the whole thing about, well, they have something else up their sleeve. They're going to move Dumba for a center. Well, <laughs> maybe. Sure. You have no guarantee that that's going to work out. Uh, people have been the, – the two hottest rumors right now are Dumba going to either Vancouver or Winnipeg. And the two big perspective pieces of those trades coming back to Minnesota are Besser on Vancouver's end and Nick Ehlers on Winnipeg's end. Last time I checked, that those are not centers. <laughs> so again, Marcus Johansson and Victor Rask or Jack Eichel and Eric Stahl? Who, who's in better shape here, right? Uh, I like Joel Eriksson. Uh, I think Luke Cunning can play center, but he's going to be better on the wing. Um, now Kaprizov's going to come over next year. He could play top line, but you're telling me you're going to give Kaprizov Marcus Johansson as the center in his first year. That's your faith. That's your, that's what you're going to do, Minnesota. I, I don't – you have to go get somebody now. You might have been okay with Stahl. You might have been okay with Stahl and Erickson. Because then you would at least have Stahl doing what he could do with Kaprizov and Fiala. And that was at least going to be okay. But you've made a bad situation worse. Um, so I don't entirely know what their plan is. If this is them trying to tank, then yay. Finally. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's confusing. And here's so. the thing, though, too. Here's the thing, too, though, is that if you're trying to tank, there's a couple, couple problems with that here. First off, as we've already established, Marcus Johansson is definitely not the player that Eric Stahl is. Second off... You're asking Johansson to play center. So if you're trying to be, you know, a decent team, Johansson does not play center. He played a little bit in Buffalo, but for most of his career, he is a wing. So if you're trying to be bad, that's, that's great. But here's another side. If you're trying to rebuild, you didn't get anything worth having to rebuild with. You've got a 30-year-old right. wing, or center in your case, who isn't going to be on the team in a year. And now you're you trying to – trying to pick. I don't care if it's a late round pick. You need to get something to build your future with. Right, and, you and now you're. Go ahead, Matt. You don't. You don't resign Brodeen to a seven year, forty two million dollar deal, because yeah, holy Christ! If you're looking to trade guys like Dumba and those guys and Brodeen to get valuable assets back, and you're rebuilding, you don't sign him. You don't resign him to a deal. You flip him because he has good value, like one of the top defensive defensemen in the league, and. If you're trying to get, and if you're actually trying to start a rebuild, you go out and you get a first round pick in one of the deeper drafts in the past few years. I mean, it's it's never been the mo from Minnesota that they're rebuilding, right? All of their messaging recently has been 
well, we're trying. We're going to improve. We've got Kaprizov. Um, so, again, what are you doing? You're going to shop Dumba? Cool. You'll be no better off. Um, can Carson Soucy play top four? Sure, maybe. It's a lot of it's a lot of what it is with this team. It's the sure, maybe. Why not? <laughs> just, just put it out and see what happens. And then you look at Buff- the, Sorry. Go ahead. Are you going back to the stall trade? Yeah, I was going to talk about Buffalo a little bit. Yeah, you can go. I'll go yeah. after. And the thing is, too, is when I look at Buffalo, like, yeah, you got your top six better, but, I mean, come on. It's Buffalo. Buffalo yeah. is one of two things. They're a team that is historically bad. Dis- they disappointing. Just, they can't get they, – they, yeah, disappointing. They can't seem to get out of their own way. And I just feel kind of bad for Eric Stahl because, you know, how many years does he realistically have left? And now he's stuck in basically where careers go to die. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums things up from his perspective. I mean, I, I feel bad for the guy. Maybe, you know, we said he has one year left on his deal, right, on his current yep. contract. So, you know, maybe if he's lucky, he that contract's up and he gets to sign someone else. But I feel bad for the guy. If I could offer my two cents now. I really like this trade from Buffalo's perspective because as Alex said, he just, even if you don't like what Stahl does, he's, he has one year left on his deal and he's two years removed from those, that 42 goal campaign. And like you said, he's a guy that is, can still put up easily 40 points as your two C and he improved your team vastly over. Cause like Alex said, again, that two C has not, or someone said that two C has been something that Buffalo has needed for a long time. And now that you trade a guy like Marcus Johansson, who wasn't really doing anything on Buffalo for a guy like that. And you can look at it. This helps Dylan cousin as well. Cousins as well, because he can play that three C against better competition and he can slowly develop at a, he can still get some NHL experience, but he can do so playing against some easier competition. And, and so I, I, just, I, agree I really like this Buffalo trade from their perspective. I don't know what Minnesota was doing. Johansson isn't a center. For Buffalo on paper, this this trade looks great. I just have no faith that a team that can't, you know, stop getting in their own way is going to actually make this work. Right, and I'm with you. But now, I mean, you read those centers. It's Eichel, Stahl, and yeah. Cousins. Uh, Olison, Skinner, Reinhardt, Cahoon, Thompson, Mills sat on the wing. Like, yeah, it's not great. And there's totally a possibility for them to get in their own way. But the first time in forever, there's a real – well, at least this could work. Yeah. feeling around the Sabres and I'm never right I don't they're not a playoff team but at least this could work this is probably the best forward core they've had in half a decade and that's yeah, not that, saying yeah. much because that, that talks to more about how bad the forward core has been for half a decade but yeah it's not like there's any they're not uh trying guys out there who just know that they're gonna go get shelled for 12 minutes a night no matter what they're doing so sure. I think with this forward core you're really uh, relying on a lot of guy, a lot of young guys to step up. You know, Middlestad needs to be any kind of NHLer. You know, not what he was last year. You need Cozens. Uh, you need Olafson to kind of repeat or you know not regress too badly from you know his uh, hot shooting percentage he started with last year. But he's got to keep up his game as well. Um, and you need Skinner to bounce back. So there's a lot that needs to go right. And that that's just talking about the forwards too. Like I'm not sold on their goalies or defensemen for that matter either, but uh, it's definitely their forward core looks better now. So, you know, I mean, good for them when, he, if this kind of trades available, yeah, you kind of have to take it. 
Um, that's pretty much what I would say from Buffalo's side. Yeah, and if Minnesota is trying to tank, why now? Why not two years ago? Why now for one of the worst drafts? Well, the next couple I, years. I, I honestly don't think they're trying to tank. I just think that they thought this was like Bill Guerin talked about how he wants to make moves to make moves. And I think that's kind of what this was. And that's the most dangerous stuff in hockey because that's how you get ripped off. Like exactly. uh, I think it, it, it was Brandon who said it, you know, if they're trying to tank, they need to be recouping assets. Like they need to be getting a, a fourth round pick or whatever for Eric Stahl. If that's what you're trying to do, like not a winger that has never played center, but you're going to try and force him into a center role for whatever reason. Like, yeah. Ask, uh, ask, uh, um, no hell Arizona, how that worked out with Galchenyuk. Right. Yeah. Uh, Montreal with anyone like it's just, I I don't, I don't get it, but. Right. And to touch base on the whole Johansson thing, I was reading something on Twitter the other day and it was just like, why are they forcing this guy to play center? You know he's – you don't want Victor Rass being your number one center, but at the same time, he's not going to be able to play against that level of competition on a nightly basis. You know that Johansson is not a – first of all, I just said, he's not a center. And second of all, he's not a guy who should be getting those types of minutes against elite competition. It's right. Just, no. it's, it's mind-moggling on Minnesota's trade. I, I don't understand why. Yeah, not good. only was he bad as a center – on the second line for Buffalo last year. Wait until you get on a team with no other support. You don't have Eichel. And you're going to be the number one center option on your team is Marcus Johansson. That is worse than Detroit, dude. At least they have Bill and Larkin. At least they have that first line, man. Minnesota's got nothing. Minnesota is, yeah. In Minnesota, from what I've, like, from what I've seen or heard, they're relying on Kaprizov to come in and be a god because they don't have anything else. And yeah, this guy has put up record numbers for his age in the KHL, like 62 points in 57 games. He's a great, great prospect, and they've waited a long time to get him overseas. But he, he can't do it. You're, he can't do it all by himself. He needs help, right. and you're not going to help him develop by throwing Johansson out there on the ice with him. Ask Edmonton how that worked with Nail Yakupov, right? It's a guy coming over playing his first years on North American ice, and you're not going to give him any support whatsoever. We'll see you to throw him with Eriksonek, Cunning. So, something I'm just thinking about like, I, I'm giving this roster, this, this Minnesota roster as a whole, like a, a once over in my head. And before they made this trade, I was already like, oh my God, this is. Minnesota fans, this is a brutal team to watch. Like, they're just so boring. And they found a way to make it more boring. You traded away one of your best players and brought in a nobody. Not a nobody, but a guy who's like, eh, he's there. He's he's there. They're not a bad team. Like someone mentioned earlier, their defense is good. They have Dumbo, they have Brody, they have Spurgeon. It's not bad. Throw Jimmy Howard in net for Minnesota. They still aren't going to allow that many goals, right? Because you've got Suter, Spurgeon, Brodine. And Suter. Yeah. Uh, so, what, again, what's the, what's the plan? I just don't know what your plan is. You're going to sign a guy to a massive extension, then immediately make a trade that makes your team worse. 
at least when San Jose was signing massive extensions to guys who didn't deserve it, they were doing so in the interest of still actually contending because they were making the Eric Carlson trades. Um, now, not to say that that Brodeen contract is a bad contract. I don't think it's a terrible contract. Maybe would have liked to see six years instead of seven. That seventh year could get hairy. Um, the I, biggest problem with Brodeen is that it's a year out before it kicks in yet. Like he's going to be, I think, 20, 29 years old when it kicks in. And it's, it's a seven year. Like if you're, if you gave me the option of having Brodeen for three years at 6 million. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you can hear that. But if you gave me the option of having Brodeen at six yep. million for three or four years, I would absolutely take that. He's one of the best defensive. Oh, for defensive sure. But yeah, signing guys into their mid thirties, especially when you have no window to go for it right now, doesn't make sense. Like if Toronto or Pittsburgh or someone like that is signing this deal, I think it makes way more sense because they, you know, you have a cup window. You have Dallas is signing this deal, Colorado, but like Minnesota again, like their ceiling to me is a team that makes the one of the wild card spots and gets dummied in five games in the first round. And that's the same thing you look up with, you know, the the whole Spurgeon deal as well. I think he's 30 and he signed a seven year deal. So you get that seven, seven and change deal for him when he's 37, that's going to be a terrible contract. Oh, they're time time again. Disgusting. Like it is horrible. I love Jonas Brody. I love him. He's a great player. But Mark Edward Vlasic was one of the best defensive defensemen in the league when he signed his deal, right? And look how fast he's fallen off. Those are the types of guys who can have absolute stinkers of years at random uh, when you don't have the offense to shield your deficiencies. Um, Not saying Brodine is bad. He is. not have that offense. Right. He does not have the offense. So if he has a bad year, you're paying six million for a guy who should maybe be making two. Um, so it, don't I don't know what you're doing. I just there's no clear direction, which is the most frustrating feeling as a fan. Because um, if you're rebuilding, you know the losses are for the best. If you're contending you know you have to make some sacrifices in order to keep a cup window open and maybe put yourself in cap hell down the road. Minnesota is somehow doing both, which I, Detroit was maybe the last team to do that and look at where they are. It was seven years ago that they were signing the Kyle Quincy's and the Ian White's and the Jonathan Erickson's to these exact same type deals. Um, you know, and just trying to keep the streak alive and be mediocre. And at least they had Dotsuk and Zetterberg. So, yeah. And looking at this team's prospect list as well, it's like they have guys like Philip and Simon Johansson on the back end. And then you got a guy who had who led the WHL in points and Adam Beckman. But other than that, like Ivan Laudnia, he's eh. Like Alexander Hovanov, all right not going to like he's not going to be your first line center and then Damien Giroux he's yeah Caprizov's he, he got a good OHL career Caprizov's your only real guy they have no depth as well oh Matthew Boldy he has a chance to oh Boldy guess, again he, yeah him too he plays wing but he's a winger yeah and then Taylor Addison on the back end yeah 
None they, of those guys are centers. <laughs> right? And then and uh, what happened? Who could be something? With the center. Yeah, he, he's. I think it could be your third or second line center by the end of the year. Maybe help get Rask out of there. Yeah. Um, what happens if Staylock regresses next year? Because oh, he was in real bad shape. Yeah, but like their team is so good defensively. Like that's what they're built that on. That is like, like Devin Dubnik hasn't been good for four years. But I know. But know, look at. I mean. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, I think uh, their system kind of, well, you know, with what they had, I, I think their system plays a match of where the goaltending stats are not, like the advanced stats anyway, is goal saved above expected, above average. Dubnik's been like one of the worst five goalies in that for the past four seasons. But I think the system and just how little it actually gives up, like if, you know, maybe, you know, if Stalak falls to an 899, yeah, you're not winning with that goaltending no matter what. Like it, it doesn't matter what team you are. You could be the 95 Devils in this era. You're not winning, right? Like, right. I, I just, to me, like uh, I talked about on my podcast a couple of days ago where it was like, um, there's a football podcast to listen to. And before the year they went, they went through team by team saying who is the most and least variance and the least variance team in the NHL to me is the Minnesota wild. Cause I think, their ceiling is like the 19th best place team in the league, 17th, somewhere like that. And their floor is the 25th. Like I, right. I don't see, I don't see this roster absolutely falling out, but I like, they're just not good. They're not good enough. Just well, an interesting say- question with the goalie thing and the rumors that Devin Dubnik might be bought out. Maybe. Do you think, do you give a chance to Capo Kakinen to, I was just to take over say- that role? I had completely forgot. I don't about see that. how it hurts. I think he's their starter now. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, or at least tandem. Like, yeah, like I, I, I could see that. And you know, Dubnik has one more year at four point three three. Maybe if you retain some money, you could even find a team to flip him to. Like, for you probably won't get much for him, but that's fine. But yeah, yeah. like I just I don't see much of a scenario where this team really falls through or improves, and that's not a fun place to be in the right. NHL. Like, I don't think Dubnik's that – he's not going to be that bad again. He's going to bounce back a little next year. Uh, so that means we're looking at a team who needs a backup. Maybe Anaheim if Ryan Miller doesn't come back, you know, because you're not going with Anthony Stolarz as your backup. And Gibson and Dubnik, that's not terrible, right? You just and need a guy to fill a place. You know, like I'd be Just reading – an article on it on the whole Johansson thing going back to it. Bill Guerin called him a top six guy and believes that his speed and playmaking ability can bring a lot to this wild team. He likes him on the power play and he thinks uh, like Bustead, um, oh, they both I have the ability to create, to create plays and um, be that one, two They're They're saying that one, two punch with which some of some of that, you know, like, I don't, I don't think Johansson's that bad. He's not a guy who can drive his own line. So if that's what they're expecting, you know, you're going to be disappointed. But, like, he's an average winger who could play on your second or third line as long as you have a good centerman, which obviously Minnesota doesn't have, which is the issue. But, like, expecting, you know, Johansson to come in and if he was the second or third line uh, winger and say, yeah, like, we expect him to come in and throw up I don't know, 40 40 points or whatever, right? And be on power play too. I don't think that's the worst expectation, you know? And same with like Bukestead, these moves in a vacuum would be fine, but the problem is they're not expecting them to be their um, 
seventh and eighth best forwards. They're expecting them to be the third and fourth best forward on the team, and that's just a right. recipe for disaster. Right. I mean, I like him on the power play. He had one power play goal last year. Are you kidding me with this? Like, where he's uh, – it's like I don't get the direction because not the thing that gives me the least confidence are the words that are coming out of Garen's mouth because none of them are true. Johansson is not good on the power play by any metric. Johansson has never had more than six power play goals in a season. Um, he's in one seat. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say something that Johansson said. He's, he's had one season over 50 points. His last year in Washington. He hasn't had over 30 since then. What do yeah. you see in this guy? Because I don't see it. Johansson also said, like, he's like, it took me a while last year to get used to playing center again. It's more defensive work in some way. I've been a winger for yeah. basically the last seven years before last year. It's two very different positions, but I think as a centerman, you kind of get involved in the play more. It's just, he even admits he. This, this guy's a career 41.5 faceoff win like what are, what are you doing? I don't understand it. The only place where he has looked okay since he left Washington was Boston during their playoff run last year. And that was the chemistry he had with Charlie Coyle, which guess what? Johansson was playing wing. And he was their eighth best forward again. Like exactly. he looked good in Boston because he wasn't required to do too much. In Buffalo, he was required to be a top six guy. You know, he's just not that. I think it's, you know, as simple as that, really. And mm-hmm. so, totally agree. All right, uh, I'm just looking at time. We should probably move on. Yeah, not to be the dead horse like or anything. 20, 25 minutes almost, though. So. And I. But I'm having I'm, I'm having fun dumping on guys. So let's talk about Montreal. Yeah, can I? Um, can we touch cool. base on the ed- yeah, Edmondson? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll, we'll, I want to do that last because I, I I really okay. I'm not gonna lie. I really want to talk about Petrangelo. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start by pitching my I, I got a nice little pitch in my head right here, and I think Josh, I think you and me were texting the back and forth about this the other night. So I'm not gonna like this, am I? You might. I don't know. Okay. I, yeah, but this trade's coming from a Boston I I perspective. Text, I well, I know I texted back and forth about this with someone. I don't remember who. I think it was Josh. I don't, but think, I don't remember. I don't think it was me. I don't remember talking about Petrangelo okay. with you. Either way, so Petrangelo has expressed some interest in two teams because it's, it's becoming more and more obvious with each passing day that he is not going to remain a St. Louis Blue. And he's expressed interest in joining the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, let's take all salary considerations aside for just one moment. All right, let's say that he ends up in Toronto for just one for just a second. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind that Petrangelo is a right shot. Okay, so he will be playing that side. You know who plays the opposite is Morgan Riley. So right there, you have one of the best. I'm not saying the best because I'm sure there. I, I I haven't looked at like the rest of the top pairings in the NHL, so I can't really speak on that. But easily a top five pairing in my opinion. And he, then, he except he's not going to get paired with Riley. I don't okay, think that happens. I would way, say, say I would say Muzzin Petrangelo, and okay, I'd go Riley Dermott. Let's say that the two of them get paired. So that's a that's a top at least in my opinion that is a top five top pairing. Even if it's Muzzin Petrangelo, I think that's top five pairing. Okay, 
Yeah. But then you look at the forward group that's going to play alongside them on the, on the top unit. You have either uh, Matthews or Tavares playing alongside Nylander and Marner. You could probably even swap out Nylander for whichever center isn't playing center. That top lot, that top unit is best in the NHL. Like, yeah. I, don't, I am, as a Boston fan, I am legitimately terrified if that ever happens, because I've been able to crack jokes and be able to make fun of them for a while because Toronto is the team that has all these pieces that just can't put it together. And I love it. But putting that, putting Petrangelo into that top lineup is terrifying yet. So exciting at the same time at what Toronto could do with that. It's just right. mind boggling. Say you're doing what? Uh, Muzzin, Petrangelo, Riley, Dermott, Letton, and Hall. That's really good, man. Not goes really from good. That is okay. That is elite. To really good, and right. And then don't count out Alex Barabanov. Next year he's going to come over from the K. Probably play third line. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev, another year adjusted in North American ice, and not getting his wrist cut open by a skate. He could be a 55, 60 point guy again. Uh, who stops them? Right. Like if you can get. 920 goaltending again from Anderson. Who stops them? Like, like, we thought this team was already top tier when they got to Varys. And then you throw in this other, you know, number one free agent that year. Right. Incredible. Right. And it's the, well, we try to fix this one thing and then the other thing goes wrong, right? It's like, oh, well, we added to Varys, but we keep getting bad injuries on defense, whether it was Gardner or Muzzin being out. Uh, they never really got it together, right? So it's the filling out your problem areas, which Petrangelo would do because it just gives you that extra step of, say Riley gets hurt. Then you still have Muzzin, Petrangelo, Letton, and Dermot, Sandine Hall. Which, yep. look at how Miko Letton's doing in the KHL right now. That's still going to be really good. Matt, I want to ask you because you're you're you know prospects better than anyone else on the show. I, I can't speak for Alex, but at least for the the three of us, um, do we think that Lilligreen could potentially comp and make some make a crack in that lineup as well? I think, I, don't, I just don't know how ready he is. Yeah, I think if you see one of the two main least prospects, Sandine gets thrown on that right side just because he probably does have a, a bit more experience. But Lilligren, not playing on the right side, but Lilligren, yeah, I could see him getting some time. Just in, like if Hulk was down with an injury, I could see him. So they're seventy, basically. Yeah, it's it'll yeah. be a rotation of him, Hall, uh, not Hall, um, Sandine. You could see like Marinson, maybe. Yeah, well, Marinson's gonna get the Josh Levo treatment. Yeah. He's gonna sit in the yeah. press box for seventy games. Yeah. I think yeah, I really like Lilligren's 20, 21. He's shown that he's been consistently been able to get better every year in the AHL. He's been playing top line minutes. Big question with him was him just throwing the puck up the ice and hoping one of his forwards could go and get it. He's dialed that down. He can control the play a lot more. He has he's a great skater. He's a lot more composed on the ice and I'm ready to see him make that jump just because I don't know, it's it it's felt like he's been in the AHL a while and he did get into like 11 games with the Leafs. I just think he deserves a longer look. 
Yeah, everything I've heard about Lily, Lily Grin, sorry, is just his development in the AHL is exactly what you would want of a guy who's been in the AHL for two or three years, you know, like playing legitimate, like penalty kill, learning how to play in all areas. Um, so I don't, I don't see how that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. Um, the only thing I'd say for the Petrangelo Toronto thing is you better be winning in a year or two, because if you don't, uh, you know, you thought we thought it was bad for, you know, Toronto's cap. Now it'll be hell when you're trying to fit, you know, Nylander, Matthews, Marner, Petrangelo, Tavares, and then anything else you want trying to find depth forwards. Uh, you know, Dubas has done a very good job at getting guys from Russia and, uh, you know, places like that, but he's going to have to continue to do an amazing job of that just to make right. sure that they can keep the window open for depth. And depth it's, guys. it really is a, how much are you going to piss me off St. Louis deal, right? He just had another kid. He's got four kids. It's not a family that you just say, okay, I'm going to Toronto. Let's move. Right. And I mean, his wife's yeah. from St. Louis. Right. Yep. So, I mean, St. Louis has handled this as bad as they could possibly have handled this. He's not going to be back. Um, so it's really going to be, hey, Alex, you want to come take six mil a year instead? We'll ship out Freddie for you, get a cheap goalie. Uh, then maybe we can fit you in. Maybe trade Janssen too, because Robertson's going to effectively replace Janssen next year. You don't need Andreas Janssen. You need to trade Andreas Janssen. Um, so, yeah. I just look – the thought of bringing Petrangelo in is – it's enticing for sure. But as Alex said, it's just the cap, and cap hell is something that's very – it's imminent to the least. You look at – the only reason why Anderson could get traded is because he's going to get paid next off season and he's going to get paid more than $5 million and the least aren't going to be able to afford that. And if you bring in a guy that has, he's going to be signed to a seven year contract that what he's probably going to get nine at least on the open Trangelo? market. Yeah. At least. Eh, eight All right. Here's a, here's a, here's a big potential situation for you though. Toronto's going to hit cap hell, whether they sign for trend or not. Cap Hill is coming for them. So maybe try and sign Petrangelo to a one, two-year short-term deal where he can potentially come back and get his big payday after, come win another cup with Toronto. Because we're not talking about a team where it's completely unrealistic that he could sign a one or two deal. He's only, let's see, Petrangelo's 30 years old, so he could still get another big payday next offseason if he wanted to. So Right. But, I mean, and here's why Petrangelo – I mean, it's just – it's not only his play. Not only did he win a cup with the Blues, he captained a cup. Yep, which is something that they're lacking right now. Yeah, I just don't they see need that if I'm Petrangelo why you take a one-year deal anywhere. Yeah. Um, you're 30 and, you know, yeah, you can bet on yourself, but at the same time, you know, look at how much a guy like Drew Doughty has fallen off over the course of two years, you know, um, and just the public perception and – I like, I like Petrangelo a lot. You know, I don't think his value will be, ever be higher than it is right now. Um, you know, even if, like, unless you go to Toronto and you take Toronto to a cup, then yeah, sure. But, I mean, I, I just, I don't see him signing a one or two year deal and upping his value from that by three or four I mil. I think, I think he would, you know, if he's in it for the money, and who knows, maybe he's not, but um, I think he would be smarter to just sign a six or seven year deal at, I would assume his number is between eight and nine. You know, I think he probably could have got nine and a half, um, maybe even 10 before, you know, the flat cap stuff. But I think now with the flat cap, 
I would assume eight to eight and a half, maybe nine would be where he comes in. Right. And which is, I do, I do think, because Vegas is in cap hell too. So it's, it's two teams that are really going to struggle to fit him in. Um, because on whatever deal, unless they can make it work with Ottawa, Vegas is going to end up having to retain a bit of flurry, uh, which is going to be in the neighborhood of the threes. Um, unless they can make it work with Ottawa, they probably stomach the whole thing. So if they do that, then that's relevant. I don't think I, that'd be, I don't see Ottawa taking on a goalie. Unless it is, it's one that they think is for their future. So right. Like Matt Murray, right. But right. not, I don't, I don't see them taking flurry unless they get but a you, haul. With it. You wouldn't, um, you wouldn't say, Oh, Vegas is like, okay, we'll, we'll give you a, we'll give you like a, either like a first round pick next year, or we'll give maybe, you a, a Dylan Coughlin. Yeah. Or a, a, um, who, who the hell else do they have? Like Lucas Elvin is. Uh, if if Vegas is willing to give up assets, I think it becomes a little more likely, at least. But right, because then you can have Flurry and Hogberg. Yeah, or Flurry and Gustafson, or Flurry and you know, you know, just have that yeah. three guy rotation. But um, yeah, I I don't think they're just taking him just to give up assets or anything. Like right. I think you have to get it. But yeah, and I mean the the other question I had for Toronto too, and you know, you guys could talk to this as well, like. If you sign Petrangelo, how worried are you guys uh, that you'd be closing Toronto's window a little sooner than maybe people originally thought? And by that, I mean, you clearly, it's the same idea with Tavares where you clearly open it up much, much more right now. Like you signed an elite player, a top, one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, but, you know, again, he's 30 years old. Tavares is what, 29, 30, 30 years old, right? So in four or five years, how worried are you that, you know, you have Tavares's uh, cap hit and Petrangelo's of like combined $20 million for two 35 year olds that are on your team. Does that close Toronto's window more than maybe previously expected where, you know, with the core, they could be expected to compete for a decade. You know, are you worried about that closing in four or five years? Yeah, but that's the sacrifice LA had to make with Kopitar mm-hmm. and Carter and given all these guys big money, knowing that this was going to be the situation they ended up in. Uh, and they've, with a management group that I think lesser of than the Leafs has been able to get them out of it. Um, I don't think any situation is a bad situation because no matter what Toronto has enough good contracts that they're never truly going to be in cap hell where they can do something like what Boston did a couple of years ago where Toronto, they're not going to do it now, but you know, in three or four years, if they need to trade Nylander, get some high-end assets back for this guy because he's going to be maximizing on his value at that point. And yeah, maybe you miss the playoffs for a couple of years, but you come back stronger and you make another cup run. Um, I think that's a reasonable expectation. The reason why I see Toronto is a more likely fit than Vegas, I just want to touch on this real quick. Both teams are going to have to make moves to get this guy. Both are going to have to subtract from their forward group. It's more of a strength for Toronto. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, Vegas works as very cohesive unit. So it's really going to be tough if you do have to move a guy out like a tuck um, to accommodate a Petrangelo. Do you really need him that bad? Because you have Theodore who's going to grow. You have Schmidt who still might grow a little bit. You have Zach Whitecloud who's going to grow. You have Dylan Coughlin who's going to grow. You have Nick Haig who's going to grow. And you have a very young defense core in Vegas. 
that you don't really have in Toronto. Um, so I don't really, I get it more from Toronto's perspective than Vegas's for sure. Yeah. And, and here's my to touch base too. on what were you going to say, Brandon? Okay. So, um, so just real quick, go back to the whole uh, Toronto situation about their cap, uh, their cup window. Um, so looking at what Petrangelo brings, like, yeah, he's shortening their, their window to win the whole thing a little bit. Uh, like as far as terms of, you know, how much longer they have. But I do think it's worth the risk because you're looking at a team that hasn't been able to put together because they don't have that veteran experience that has gone and succeeded in the playoffs, which is something mm-hmm. that they desperately need right now. I mean, Muzzin, yeah, but I don't, I don't view him as that leadership voice in Toronto. He might be – you know, he's a solid player. He's gone and won a cup with Los Angeles. But I don't think – But he's think not that- the main guy. Exactly. He's not the main guy is my point. Right. You have um, a father figure in Petrangelo. Exactly. Literally figuratively. But so here's the thing is so, you know, like we said, it's coming either way. My concern is as it sits right now, their bottom six is looking like it's going to fall out beneath them in the next couple of off seasons anyway, because they're going to lose guys to just, they can't afford them. They got a lot of good cheap deals right now. So are you going to be able to bring guys up? sign decent guys on those really cheap deals in free agency just to fill out your bottom six, it's going to be tough. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's going to be tough. So I say you take that big gamble, you sign Petrangelo now, and you let, you just let what's coming come because it's or, going to hit either way, so make the most of it. Yeah, or here's the other thing, though. Uh, you are not going to need to be making a lot of trades, right? You are going to be having to – give up your first round picks and deals because your team is already so stacked. You won't have room for these rental guys, um, which you hold on to your first round picks. You can get a lot of really good guys in the twenties, man, especially with Dubas. You could very well over the next three, four five years, fill out your bottom six forwards internally, just from guys you've drafted because that's their ceiling. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. What on happens that. What happens when it's like, let's look at Nick Robertson. He's proven that in a few years time, he's going to be ready for big minutes with the Leafs. He signed his entry-level contract now, but given that you have $40 million in four forwards and are you literally just drafting prospects, signing them to a three-year entry-level contract? And if they develop into studs, you're like, okay, we're going to trade him now because you're going to have to get rid of some guys. Or you trade Nylander or you trade Marner. Trade Marner, right? That's what I would say. Right, because, well, it, it depends on what happens at that point, right? But Nylander, as soon as Robertson, I think, develops into a ceiling, Nylander, as great as he is, is going to become expendable. And you're just making your team significantly worse just because, like, especially if you're still dealing with, again, like a 33- and a 34-year-old center and defenseman that you're paying a combined $20 million to, like – and, you know, as much as I love Kyle Dubas, I think the guy is brilliant. And he's clearly found that, you know, they, they will take every approach to find players that they can. Drafting prospects and having them develop is not just as simple as, oh, we're going to hit on them every single year. Right. You might hit on a guy here or there. But there's also going to be a year or two span where, you know, whether it's injury, just bad, like literally bad luck, injury concerns, whatever, a guy's not going to develop. And it's a tough system where it's like if you're banking on young guys to come up every single year and new guys every single year, you can run into trouble if you're uh, not on the ball at every single moment. 
And here's the yeah. thing, too, is we're, like Josh, you mentioned, you know, making the most of those first-round draft picks. And, yeah, that's great and all. But how many of those guys you get in the late rounds are going to be NHL-ready? Not that many. So, while yeah, down the road, you know, when you do do that roster refresh to do that cup run, yeah, I mean, they'll be ready to fill out your bottom six. But I'm looking more short-term at, short-term. you know – Two, two what years, are you going to do when Spezza's gone? What are you going to do when Zarabano's exactly. gone? What are you yeah. going to do when Engel's gone? Right. Yeah, Clifford and Clifford and Spezza are all but gone this offseason. So that's two guys you have to replace. Spezza's probably going to be back. Clifford's gone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I understand your perspective looking like, you know, five, six years out. But looking over the next two or three years, it's coming anyway. So sign Petrangelo now. Make the most of what you have at this given moment and make that cup run. Go win a cup now because you're not going to have that chance for many more seasons over the next couple yeah. of years. And I think I think it could work out because you sign Petrangelo now, you try and win a cup with your current roster, and if it's not working and you don't get past the first round because this year, I swear to God, if they don't make it at least past one round, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. You go out and you trade a guy like Nylander or you trade a guy like Marner, who a lot of people are going to – a lot of Leafs fans are not going to be happy with that, but – you go out, you trade Marner, and you get two valuable assets back. Yep. And you get guys. Now you have – Look at what they were able to get for Kapanen. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sure, but, but again, like I think that's, that's the not exception, happen. not the rule, yeah. right? I yeah, know, like if you're, I know, but still. If you're banking on getting a 13th or 15th overall pick or whatever for your guys that you just can't afford, it's not going to happen, right? So No. We're also talking about Jim Rutherford, who has made a lot of bonehead decisions over the course of his career. So it's not like this is the guy you're going to be able to expose. You've got Hollander. There is your 3C from 2022. But just accepting that that's going to be the case. Like, what if he just doesn't develop or he's a 4C and not a 3C? Then you're in trouble again, right? Like, Sure. Yeah. And I have – but every team takes that chance. That's yeah. not inherent. Sure, to but the every leagues, team's right? not paying five guys sixty percent of their salary cap yeah. as well. Because some of the guys, you know, if say the guy doesn't work out at three C, they have three million dollars to go in free agency and find a three C for a to dip the guy right. Years, right. Toronto can't do that. But I, I don't know. Like I, I think you know, it's very tough to say no to a top ten defenseman in the entire league. I definitely think, you know, if you want to say just go for it, it, I have a hard enough time arguing that because, yeah, like it's Alex Petrangelo. Like he makes them into a top two team in the East probably. It'd be them in Tampa, I think, battling back and forth for the next couple years, um, in my opinion anyways. And, you know, even with Tampa, you know, they're getting older as well. So, but I just think, you know, if you're, you know, how many times have we heard over the past three years, oh, they don't have the money to pay anyone. Well, if you go sign an eight and a half million defenseman, you got to be very sure that you know how you're going to be handling the cap for the next three and a half years or four years or whatever, right? And I don't see them unless they make trades soon. Don't they have like seven million in cap space right now or something uh, like that? Ish. Seven or eight. Like if yeah. they trade Janssen, I think they would be able to. Yeah, they'd be fine. But they, their team, but they have to make a trade because they still have to sign Mikheyev and uh, Dermot. So yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm actually going to throw this out there why don't you go out and get like ryan kessler from anaheim just to have him on ltir and so you did last year with david clarkson yeah i mean there's there's always options how many how many well because anaheim would do that you're like all right anaheim we'll give you a second round pick 
Brent Seabrook seems like another type of, you know, Seabrook and, and I mean, it, sure. well, it depends on the contracts too. Like um, Seabrook, Seabrook's a different story because he has hope, right? Because yeah, he actually, because he could pull a loophole and say, was, well, you can't keep putting me on LTIR. I'm ready to go. Kessler's I mean, what, Kessler's sure. But what Kessler's they do to that is you, just say, no, you're going to LTIR. Right. And like, I don't know. I was talking to someone uh, from Chicago a couple days ago and they were saying they wouldn't be shocked if uh, Seabrook has done this year, just like with everything he's put his body. Neither would I. I mean, neither would I, but it's less of a certainty, right? If you, if you go out and get a Kessler, that's almost seven mil the next two years. That's yeah. It's significant. Yeah. And I mean, it it depends. Like I'm assuming if you're acquiring someone, you know, the terms of what's going to happen. Right. Okay, so uh, we got to move on from the Alex Petrangelo to Toronto conversation as fun as it is because we've got one more big thing we want to hit on our list before we wrap up this episode, and that is the fact that Montreal – now, keep in mind, this is before he's even played a game as a Canadian – has just Have we gone out this before? Has gone out and traded for former St. Louis Blue Joel Edmondson. And so Edmondson had an expiring contract. So they basically traded for negotiating rights out of all of this. And boy, do we have a deal on our hands. Edmondson has signed a four-year contract to remain a Montreal Canadian at three and a half million per year. And Josh, you just have this really goofy looking grin on your face. I know you want, I know you want to go ahead and rip Montreal for signing this deal. So have at it. Just before we start, sorry, Brandon, you said to remain a he signed a contract to oh. remain a Montreal Canadian. Okay. Just... So to to join the Montreal Canadiens. Sorry, my bad. Sorry, I, I just got if, in case you wanted to. In the moment. No, in case you just wanted to edit that out or something. I'm not gonna edit it. I'm just gonna yeah, leave it in front of me. Okay. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make this my catchphrase. Which is just what in God's name are you doing? What are like I don't. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I don't. Look, Montreal already had Chirot, they had Kulak, they had Mete, and Romanov. Now, Mete can play righty, I think, maybe. Um, You don't need more middling mediocrity. (laughs) You just don't. You could have gotten a Krug. You could have got out and gotten Tory Krug. You were mentioned. You were in the Krug conversation. That would have been good because then you're getting the legit guy to go play with Weber or Petrie, probably Weber. You don't need more second, third pairing fodder, which is exactly what Edmondson is. Not only is he not worth 3.5, he's especially not worth 3.5 to you or you already have a boatload of players like him. They have Sherat who hits and blocks shots. They're paying three and a half for a cup ring in which he barely played in the run. Paying three and a half for his career high of 20 points. Uh, plays about 18 minutes a night, which uh, for a top four defenseman, you want it, you want that number to be closer to 20. Um, guy who's probably never going to hit those 20 points again, whose advanced metrics are not good. His relative Corsi with Carolina last year was negative 4.6. He's only posted a, rel- a positive relative Corsi once. Uh, and that was boosted by some – he's had relatively good PDO throughout his career, so some of that's boosted. Um, so, again, I ask, 
what are you doing? You had so you were almost Colorado level with your cap space this offseason. And what have you done with it? You've added the Jake Allen contract. While he is a great goalie, you honestly don't need someone that good or that expensive backing up price. And you've gone out and given three and a half million a year to a guy who you could have gotten out, got gone, gotten out free agency, someone similar and gotten him for 900 grand, which you didn't even need because you had Mete and you had <laughs> Romanov and you had Sherat and you had Kulak. There's absolutely no reason in any parallel universe to make this contract work. And they made it. There's, there's, it's worse than the stall for Johansson trade. Uh, it's one of the immediate worst contracts that we've seen in a long time. Um, think they would have learned from Carl Osner, wouldn't you? Think they would have learned. What if it doesn't work out? You have one of the top pairings in, on the Laval Rocket. Got <laughs> Right, seven million dollars <laughs> allotted to two players on an AHL team. Oh my god! So here, here's can my, you imagine? This is, this is the only way I can think of this logically, like as to why they would sign this contract. Covering. Um, well, hits. well, okay. Let me let me step. There are two reasons I would I can think of this. Number one, you really want that Calder Trophy on your record, <laughs> or the Calder Calder Cup, excuse me, and the other one being. Uh, um, you know, you know this team's gonna be bad, so you, you and you really want to hit that rebuild button, but at the same time, but you, you don't want to look, But here's the thing: is that to the casual fan, you want to make it look like you're doing something to make this team better? Because I mean, to a casual fan who doesn't know who Joel Edmondson is, this looks like oh, we just got a great defenseman, and he signed a three million deal, three and a half million for four years. He must be all right. He's one he a a for God's sake. Exactly. So to the casual fan who might not fully understand who Joel Edmondson is, this looks great, right? But, uh, yeah, no, they, they, they must really want that Calder Cup. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, look, I look at this deal, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, I have to get on Twitter. Because just scrolling <laughs> through the Canadians' Twitter feed, there was either people who were like, oh, this is such a good deal. And I was like, okay. And then yeah, we needed that this were like, real grit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, He's a grit grinder. Yeah, that's who he is. I'm not into At three and a half a year. Yeah. advanced analytics as much as most people are, just because I haven't really – it's – let's not get into that. But um, <laughs> I've heard he's been – I've heard he's been one of the worst analytic, analytic defensemen analytically over the past few years, and it's just – I don't see how this contract measures up how valuable he is because he's not valuable at all. He's a guy that's going to – they've mentioned that if he gets playing time, they're going to shit Mete out. And I'd much rather give Mete playing time than Edmondson. Just be like Mete's I'd rather give Mete this contract. Like, yeah. Like, I, I just – I don't get where the fit is. And, like, the worst part about it is, like, I don't think this team's going to be that bad. Like, I don't think they're going to be good. But no. they're kind of in the Minnesota range where it's like, I think they're going to be – somewhere from a wild card team at a very good year to a 24th place team, just where they were last year on a bad year, you know, like if they stay healthy or whatever, but 
like I just yeah you don't where's the fit because they have six to seven legitimate NHL defensemen so it's like you know you have Petrie you have Weber uh Chariot and Kulak are on the other side Romanov's coming in Mete's on the third uh you know you have Mete and Romanov there as well so there's your six defensemen right there like what are you doing like I don't know I tweeted yesterday pretty much. I said, this is going to look worse yeah. than the Alsner contract at about half the time yeah. it took and Alsner to look bad. Romanov is one of the top defensive prospects in the entire world. And you want him to come into Montreal and play sheltered minutes for him to develop. And in a few years, you give him that top four playing time and you watch him. I think he's going to be an absolutely great defenseman. You just don't sign someone like Edmondson after a team that the team itself has witnessed how bad that Carl Alsner trade is to go out and do it again. Every time I was starting to gain respect for Mark Bergevin, just because of he was making some decent years, he had a stretch run of like, okay, this isn't a bad time. And then he goes out and he signs another contract like this. It's just like, why you want a guy you want it. You're not going to pay a six or seventh defenseman, three and a half million dollars to sit in the press box. That's not what you want on a contending team. Look, if, if Boston falls off hard, Montreal could be a playoff team. Not a wild card team, a divisional team. Montreal, more realistically, is a wild card team. But they're a pretty damn good wild card team, I think. They showed it this year. Their forward group is there. Uh, Suzuki and Kotkaniemi are not messing around. Carey Price and Jake Allen are not going to mess around. You had the opportunity here, especially with Krug to get a guy who was going to make you not a virtuoso contender, but you could win a round or two with Krug on your team. This is a team that has now completely shot itself in the foot more than I've seen a lot of teams shoot themselves in the foot. And I'm a Sharks fan. I don't, I don't even know if it's like the not being able to sign Tory Krug thing though. Like, I don't know. I don't think Krug is, he's fine. He's a third. I think he's a second pair defenseman. I think he's probably overrated generally, but he's yes. going to get overpaid. But like, yes, he would have made the team better. That's for sure. But it's just like, it's, you know, I saw people praising Mark Bergevin that he went out and gave a fifth round pickup so that he could get the negotiating rights. You could go and give a seventh round pick for, I'm 25 AHL defensemen, and I think that most of them would be That's better. That's a better than trade. Like, literally. And so it's like, on top of that, you just gave him three and a half over four years, you know, something that's not easy to get out of under. And, you know, you're actively going to feel you're going to have to play him because that's the same thing that happened with Carl Olsner as well. The first, I believe the first year that he was there, they felt that they had to play him. And by the second year, they're like, yeah, okay, he's just too bad. We cannot play him anymore. But it's like, What's going to happen in this first year? Yeah, he played 82 games and then nine the second year. But what's going to happen in this first year is, oh, well, we gave him the big contract. There's no way we can let him sit up in the press box. So he's going to be playing minutes for your team, and you're just actively making yourself worse, which, I mean, I don't think I have to explain, unless you're trying to tank, which I don't think Montreal is at all. It's not a good thing in hockey to make yourself purposely worse. Yeah. And especially, like, here's the thing, too, is that if you're trying to actively make yourself worse – you just don't have those players because, uh, or, or those are the only, those are the only players you have because, you know, the guys are always going to go out there and try their hardest. They don't care if the team gets a top first round pick. It's only another guy that's going to come in there and try and take their job. The coaches don't care. The coaches are going to go out there. They're going to try and win because they, if they, this doesn't work out for them, they want to have another shot somewhere else. Right. So yep. tanking only works if you just 
flat out do not have the pieces on your team. Which and if you want is not the spend, case for Montreal. If you want to spend $3.5 million, go out and get some center depth. Go out and bring in a solid third or fourth line centerman. Let Suzuki and Kotkaniemi continue to develop and pay that money. And again, Josh mentioned that Allen thing. Or winger. Get a winger. Yeah, get Craig winger. Smith. Yeah, exactly. You just you go out and you use that money somewhere yeah, else Graylin. to improve your team. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just – it makes absolutely no sense for Montreal, and they could have used that money. Again, as I was just saying, the Allen thing. He's a great goalie, but you don't need to be paying that amount of money for a backup. And you could have used that money to spend it elsewhere. It, that's, it screams to me having too much assets. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't hate the Allen deal. At least I think, yeah, obviously it's too much money for a backup. But for one year, I think you can stomach it. But, like, it screams to me just having too many assets. You don't know what to do with it. You know, they have, I think it's 26 picks or something like that between this year's draft and next year's draft. So what do they do with them? Well, they go and spend one on Allen. They go and spend one on Edmondson. I'm telling you right now, if this is the contract offer you had for Edmondson, no team is outbidding you once you get to free agency. You did not have to get his negotiating rights. You just put a fifth round pick in the recyclement, right? Yeah. Like I I just, I I don't know. I, to me, it just screams like even the cap space as an asset, it's just like, it's burn. It's been burning a hole in their pocket for three years, and they finally decided to go use it. But instead of taking a big swing and miss, which they have done, because there's no guarantee that someone like Krug would have wanted to come to Montreal anyways. But they just went out and got Allen, which is a you know I think he's fine. He's overpaid, but he's fine. But then there's like a below average defenseman for way too much money, and that's just obviously not the way to spend your assets in the NHL. All right. Uh, with that said, I imagine you have something else. Why? No, it's fine. Okay. All right. Well, so, we'll, with that said, uh, that does it for episode ten. I was saying episode nine. I get my numbers all mixed up. Uh, so that does it for episode ten of the Throwing Haymakers podcast. Uh, we want to thank everyone who's who's listening this week, and uh, hope you'll join us again next week. Alex, thank you for coming on and joining us. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on again soon, and. Uh, We'll be back again next week. So episode dropping on Saturday. Be sure to check back uh, one week from now and listen to another episode.